Hi guys, I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. And welcome back to a new year of the Top on the Wrist podcast. 2022. Ooh, I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm feeling 22. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, hopefully about a year, but like I don't even want to jinx it, you know? I feel like we were like, 2021's gonna be better, and it was pretty similar to 2020, and uh... It was a little better. It was a little bit better, yeah, yeah. yeah. But with, with Omicron surging. Omicron. Fuck that guy. Did I put a pen in there? <laughs> Omicron. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> screw him. Who cares? Let's let's talk about more positive things. Yeah, it's a new year. And as is tradition for the past couple of new years, we like to kind of set some goals mm-hmm. for this here little pod of ours. Yes. So this year we created four goals. Uh... So we'll, we'll go back and forth and tell you what they are. Number one. In is, no shock. In no shock. In a continued goal from when we first started this podcast. We want to get better at social media. We, you know, have basically only been posting like our episodes, you know, pictures from our episodes and we haven't really been posting things in between or things about us as the podcasters. So we want to kind of get better about adding more content, you know, info about alcohol in general. Laura sends me articles, and she was like, we should probably post about the articles instead of just sending them to each other. Yeah. Um, Basically, we're going to show you our faces a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We just, you know, feel like social media is a great place to also find new followers and, you know, connect with other podcasts, so it's just important for us to kind of expands that expand our reach through social media 2022 when we become influencers just kidding kidding. that's not gonna happen but we're gonna get better we are gonna get better uh our second goal is not the same as a goal we had last year but kind of Mm -hmm. is we just want to do a couple crossover episodes with some other podcasts have maybe a couple guests on our podcast yeah we did that a few times in 2021. I love those episodes. It was really fun to chat and meet with other podcasters. Totally. So I'd love to be able to do some kind of crossover guest episodes in 2022. Me too. Every time you say 22, I'm like, I don't know about you. Just pops right <laughs> uh, Our third goal we have is pretty simple. It's just to make more cocktails. Woo! Because we are an alcohol history podcast and we like very rarely like make and feature cocktails that we've made personally. Um, you know, we'll talk about other bars obviously and uh, sometimes have a drink, but come I think creative, a personal I goal is to get Vanessa a better bar. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, although I don't have room for a bar really, but. We'll figure it out. Yeah, mini bar. We, we, <laughs> we, we can store it. You have room in your office. Uh, right now. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. We're going to beef up your bar so that you can <laughs> beef up your cocktail making at home to put on our Instagram. Exactly. Uh, and then our last goal, and this one is just a little bit... Like, I don't know, in my head it feels lofty. Yeah. Yeah. And also a little selfish. I would love to be able to partner with a brand or an event and get invited to something and get to work with someone 
um, because of our podcast. They heard it. They heard about us. They want to work with us. And Mm -hmm. so I would love if by increasing our social media usage, we kind of get to maybe work with an alcohol brand or a history company or something and just kind of get invited to an event. Yeah. Like a a partnership of some kind. Right. Maybe feature some cool products that like you guys would like, that we like. Um, It would just be kind of cool. And it, like you said, a lot of these goals are actually kind of hand in hand with us just getting our shit together during social media. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we really need to master goal number one, and two, three, and four will come. I mean, and goal three will help us with goal exactly. one. So, this is our promise to you: we are going to drink more and post about it. Yes. Sorry for the random sirens. <laughs> Welcome to New York. <laughs> How many challenges can we make? <laughs> Well, we will do be doing an Instagram post about our goals, or we did already, actually. I think by the time you listen to this episode, it will already be up. Yes. Uh, so now you're just hearing us talk about them. But uh, today's episode, uh, if you, you will remember, because we would have just posted the spin. I was going to say, if you remember, we, we spun for listicle, but you'll have just seen that post. And uh, I looked it up. Listicle's a real word. We didn't make that up. We didn't? No. Oh. <laughs> you said that once, and I was like, we really did? And then I Googled it, and I was like, nope, it's a real word. Oh. <laughs> but yes, so just a reminder or uh, a quick synopsis if you're new here. See, we are in the middle of season four right now, and in season four, we are spinning every week on our, our wheel of themes that Vanessa and I drew so lovingly last summer it's beautiful Uh uh-huh you can see it many times on our instagram but which is at a tap on the wrist nice (laughs) (laughs) but we spin every week for a theme and then we each research a topic to that theme Mm -hmm. and share our stories but this week we spun listicle as the theme so then we brainstormed together we came up with a topic, and we are going to go back and forth sharing ideas from that list that we found. Yeah. And the list this week is? It is strange drinking customs from around the world. Woo! Woo! I love learning about strange traditions from around the world. I Whether know. it's drinking traditions or, like, laws. Yeah, or... I feel like we've done some of these before, right? We've done, like, laws, and I feel like we have even done some traditions. Some of the traditions on these lists, like... We've done I know, stories. Of. Yeah, like, Sour Toe Cocktail Club, I think, was on one of these lists we used, and I was like, oh, memories. It's one of the best stories it's we've one had. Of, but yeah, one of our original stories. Yeah. Um... But so we used two sources to kind of, like, inspire the episode. Um, we'll obviously list any additional sources that we used, but we kind of got the inspiration for this directly from The World's 25 Strange Drinking Customs by Julie R. Thompson from HuffingtonPost.com. Yeah. Uh, I also then went ahead and found some additional customs on a list called Seven of the World's Most Interesting Drinking Customs by Joshua Mallon. From vinepair.com. Excellent. Yeah. And we each did three. Yes. Do you want me to start? Yeah. Okay. So the first drinking tradition or custom that is a little peculiar 
is coming from Peru. And in Peru, they have a very unique beer drinking method that in 2022 would be quite questionable given the state of the world in the middle of a pandemic. But let's just take this with a grain of salt, like pre-pandemic. Uh-huh. Let's, let's open our eyes here. Um, basically, in Peru, if you are out to drink with a group of people, everyone kind of gathers in, like, their circle around their table, the way we would go out with a group of friends here. Okay. And when the beer is ordered, it arrives in, like, a large bottle of mm-hmm. beer, and then it's served with one small glass. Okay, so there's a group of people sitting around a table, a giant-ass bottle comes out, and then a tiny glass? Yes. No one gets individual glasses? Nope, it's one glass from okay. the whole table. Okay. And so this single glass is shared among the group. So one glass of beer and one shared bottle of beer. Uh, and so this is how this beer circle works. See, it's giving me anxiety right now. <laughs> I told you. But... I'm like, but then I like think back and I'm like thinking like pre-pandemic, right? When like we would have those like giant drinks where like we would all have straws in it and yeah. we'd all be drinking, you know, like. Or sharing a, a beer. Yeah. Like, I guess we would still use our own cups and like split it. Like we get pictures. Or like tasting each other's drinks and like. Yeah. You know. The one cup thing is weird, but I'm going to show yeah. you, I'm going to tell you okay. how it works. Okay. 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 So the beer circle is a super social way of drinking. Uh, and it's a one-glass system. So person A, which is usually the person who buys the bottle of beer, they start, they receive the beer and the glass, um, they fill their glass, mm-hmm. they hand the bottle to person B next to them. But person B gets to do nothing with the beer until person A finishes their glass of beer. So you almost pour your glass and then, like, chug it, Mm-hmm. And then you pass your glass to the next person. And then person B follows that. They pour their glass, pass the bottle, and person C can't drink until person B finishes their glass of beer. And so on. And that's just how it goes. <laughs> so you, you have to chug it because the person's waiting for you. You can't just, like, leisurely sip beer. Correct. So that means that they're, like, all drinking fast. Right. I did forget one thing. You're supposed to, after, so, like, person A finishes their beer, and, you know, there's always, like, a little foam and stuff at the bottom. Yeah. It's very important that you flick that on the ground before passing person B your glass. That's oh, a part of it. To, whoever has to clean up must love that. Yes. Uh, that's the rinsing part. Okay. Um, but, so, this goes around the circle, and that's how, and then when you are the person that finishes the bottle, you buy the next bottle. Like, if you happen to be where the bottle ends... You purchase the next bottle, and the circle continues like that throughout the night. It sounds to me like a very weird American drinking game. It does, and it's, like, weird because you're never having a drink at the same time as someone else. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not just sitting there, like, casually chatting and, like, drinking together. No. Um, But this is, like, a traditional drinking method with groups of people, and... It leaves me with so many questions. Like, what if you don't want the same beer as what the other people are drinking? What if you don't want to chug your beer? Right. 
why is this the norm? Like, I don't get it. And is it still a thing that happens? Or, like, have people taken a step back from it now that COVID is a thing? Yeah, I don't know. But, like I mentioned, according to howtoperu.com, which is, like, (laughs) a website I might use, like, if I were going to Peru to search, like, things I should know. Mm -hmm. I, I do that a lot before I travel to, like, a new country, like... How do they say cheers? Like, what is proper etiquette? So, howtoperu.com, when you finish the bottle, you buy the next one and start the process over and over again. Unless you are a female. Females traditionally do not buy the beer. It's only, like, the male friends in the circle. Okay. So, that seems antiquated. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say, it seems a little sexist, but, like, also, am I going to complain that I'm not buying alcohol? Probably not. I think my biggest thing is, like, not everyone drinks the same kind of beer. Right. I mean, if it had been, like, our friend group, like, a year, a couple years ago, I don't even drink beer. So, like, are you expected to participate even if you don't like it? And then, like, can you imagine me having to chug a beer? I feel like I'd start Mm -hmm. gagging. Well, even I don't enjoy chugging a beer. Like, that's not my preferred way of drinking. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, a, like a method to get drunk, not right. Like... Well, it is. A, it's not a pint. Okay. It's not. It is apparently like a pretty small glass. Right. So you are kind of taking. It's probably like a few bigger sips, mm-hmm. and then you're like going all around the circle, and then you get another few bigger sips. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe it helps keep the beer cold too. True. Like your beer doesn't really have time to warm up. I would just think at the beginning of the night, it feels slow. Yeah. And, like, once you had, like, a couple rounds, you're probably fine waiting for your five friends to drink before it's your turn again. But I would think the beginning of the night would feel kind of slow. Maybe they start with shots. Maybe they pregame. Maybe. But that is my first strange drinking tradition. Interesting. Okay, my first strange drinking custom... Uh, it comes from the Netherlands, and I, I'm a thousand percent not saying this right. Laura was actually here when I, like, listened to how to pronounce it, and it, they were, like, completely different pronunciations, just, so just, I'm just going to say Kapstuji. Okay. Okay? Uh, I'm sorry to anyone from the Netherlands. Feel free to correct me. Um, but that translates to little headbutt, which is much easier for me to say. Okay. Uh, So it is a centuries-old drinking ritual, and basically it entails taking, like, a tulip-shaped shot glass, and you have to fill it all the way to the top. And the reason that I read that it was tulip is because it, like, because of the way it bends, like, it kind of allows you to fill past the top of the glass so that it's, like, basically almost spilling over. Um, And you're using a, a liquor that also has different pronunciations i'm gonna go with geneva it's like believer geneva okay and so you have to use this specific specific alcohol geneva and again it's to the point of almost spilling so that basically like if you were to pick up the glass all the alcohol would spill out so you can't you have to basically like bend over at the waist at the bar hands clasped behind your back and like start sipping the alcohol so that it doesn't spill over. Once you do that, you can then like 
pick up the glass and a lot of people like will toast and then either like keep sipping it or shoot it down um but but first you have you have to do this thing where you clasp your hands behind your back and bend over and the point is to like not knock it over with your head or headbutt it like you have to just kind of go for it sip it sip it like a little mockingbird yeah (laughs) (laughs) just like a little baby mockingbird um and that is usually followed by a beer that like the beer has to be included for it to be a a complete little headbutt okay um i saw pilsner or lager which i'm guessing are two different types of beer yes but some some places were like it's usually a pilsner and then the other place said it's usually a lager and i was like well which one (laughs) one of those two but this is basically a drinking tradition that you can do at any bar in the netherlands particularly in amsterdam and i couldn't find a lot about where that tradition originated if you know please let us know but what i did find was a lot of information on the geneva 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 uh so liquor.com calls it the dutch granddaddy of gin which is fitting because gin was developed in Britain after the introduction of Geneva. Uh, it's also a juniper flavored liquor, as as gin is, um, and it is described as a multi herb forward flavor. And again, it, it's one of those things that has multiple pronunciations, and I'm using like the English American pronunciation, even though I can still barely say it. Uh, and the Dutch pronunciation, I think, is Yenever. Yenever. It's like begins with a Y instead of a a G or a J. Okay. So some other nicknames for the alcohol are Dutch Courage, Holland Gin, and it has been part of the Dutch and Belgium drinking culture since the 16th century. Back then, it was actually first considered a cure-all, which I think is, like, pretty common for a lot of alcohols. They kind of start out. Well, I was going to say, it sounds like when we've told, like, gin stories, and, like, it, this is always, like, the origin of gin. hmm Yeah. This, like, Dutch liqueur, liquor. Right, right. But, yeah, like I said, it was at, at once a cure-all. Eventually, it just became a drink. And it's still very popular there. It's not as popular in the United States where, like, gin is more of a a thing. But it is apparently starting to kind of find a stronghold here. Um, it was first distilled or first produced by distilling malt wine. And when they realized that it didn't taste great on its own, they added herbs to mask the flavor and the juniper berry for its alleged medical benefits. There are, like, three different types of... Geneva that you could get. The first is old, which is not about its age. It's more about how it's made, and it's a variation that's made in the old style. It tends to be dense and aromatic, and it has at the least 15% malt wine, typically more than that. There's also a young version, which again is not the age. It's just a newer method, which uses more grain instead of malt and contains no more than 15%. So it's less malt wine, uh, and it has a relatively neutral flavor. Then lastly is like a grain wine, which I guess isn't technically 
Geneva. It's more of like its own thing, but it's very similar to the 18th century and it is matured for years in an oak cask and contains anywhere from 51 to 70% of malt wine. Uh, and then the people source kind of described the difference in flavor. So it says that young Geneva has a neutral taste like vodka with a slight aroma of juniper and malt wine. And the old Geneva has a smoother, very aromatic taste with multi flavors. It's sometimes aged in wood, and it's multi woody and smoky flavors resemble whiskey. I think that's the one I want. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say. So one is like vodka, and one is like whiskey. Mm. Obviously, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know we're not huge fans of vodka, so yeah. whiskey it is. Whiskey flavored it is. Um, so yeah, if you're ever in the Netherlands, make sure you try a little headbutt. Kapsuja. Kapsuji. Who knows? Please correct us. I'm so sorry I'm not saying it right. But yeah. And the sources that I used besides the people source were uh, liquor.com. That's a good source. Yeah. <laughs> Seems legit. <laughs> okay, my second tradition today comes from Moldova, which is a very tiny country in Eastern Europe. Um, and Russian tradition demands that every drink is accompanied by a toast. So in this tiny country of Moldova, which is located between the Ukraine and Romania, it is customary that you would hear a lot of toast throughout a meal. Because... Anytime anyone takes a drink? Yes. There's supposed to be, like, a toast or a... Cheers. And this would be, like, at a gathering, not, like, yeah. friends hanging out, but, like, at an official party gathering. Right. Um, and usually there are so many toasts that, like, a toast master is hired for the evening. Okay. Um, and these toasts are ad-libbed by the tomata or toast master, and their responsibility is to make sure that the guests are continuously having fun. So sometimes the toasts are humorous and sometimes they're serious but it's like continuous throughout the meal like every time someone is poured a new glass a toast is given to the whole party i'm not gonna lie i feel like it would drive me a little crazy yeah like i'm just trying to eat or drink right now yeah yeah (laughs) i agreed um and this tomata organizes dances and party games they're kind of like the party cheerleader and they give all of the toast. And as you said, like, you'd get toasted out, right? Yeah. Like, you'd be over it. So there is even one toast when people get to that point and they're kind of over all of the toasting that literally is... I, I'm going to pronounce this wrong because I have no background in, like, Russian languages. But it's, like, high divide, which translates to let's go. Yeah. So basically just, like... Okay, another one. Yeah. Um, and I actually wrote in my story, if you ask me, this sounds pretty annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After, like, five toasts, I'm over it. I'd be like, I can't do this anymore. I have to leave. Yeah. But I guess it is kind of nice. I mean, it does slow people down a little bit if they have to stop and toast. Mm-hmm. And if there is 
a birthday person or, you know, you're celebrating an engagement, it's kind of nice for that person to feel honored yeah. over and over again. But it does seem like a lot. However, when I was researching this country and this tradition, I did find some interesting facts that I had no idea about that the country of Moldova has the highest drinking rate in the world. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, and it is quite excessive. So in an article by Tom.com, Tom.com, Time.com, <laughs> Moldova has the highest levels of alcohol consumption in the world and the highest death rate linked to drinking. Oh, wow. One in four deaths are related to alcohol, while the world's average is one in 20. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, and as of 2016, uh, the WHO data found that people over the age of 15 drink on average 15.2 liters of pure alcohol per capita each year, which is the equivalent of 167 bottles of wine. Holy shit. Everyone in the country over 15 drinks approximately 167 bottles of wine per year, which wow. is... Wow. I mean, half a bottle a day. Yeah. And, like, that's a lot of alcohol. That is a lot of alcohol. And so that was just uh, an interesting but also terrifying fact. You think find. they wouldn't have time to drink that much with all the toasting. I know. Or I wonder if the toasting leads to higher drinking because they like have to take a drink every time yeah yeah wild wild i know it's a lot of drinking happening over there yeah my next tradition is from spain and it is the ada wine festival the festival obviously takes place in ada spain uh and it is on June 29th every year during the Feast of St. Peter and Paul, which you think would be a religious holiday that doesn't include a shit ton of wine, but this is an exception. They like okay. to celebrate in their own interesting way. Okay. So the Ada Wine Festival features a Batala de Vino, Battle of Wine, uh, and youth bullfights in the town build bullring but bulls aren't actually used. They use heifers and no animals are killed, which is just a fact for okay. our animal friends. So the day starts on the 29th at 9 a.m. with a procession of people led up the mountains by the town mayor who's riding on horseback. They do celebrate a mass before this wine battle begins. Gotta say a little prayer. <laughs> Gotta bless that wine. So Vine Pair, which is the website that we said we used at the top, um, has like a quote from a travel agency in the article that I read about the events, and I just feel like they did a good job explaining it, so I'm just gonna read that to you. So the wine fight actually starts the night before on the evening of the 28th. This is the biggest party night that Otto sees and includes the whole town in the streets from children to grandparents, partying the night away in the town streets, bars, and town squares. After a few hours sleep, or none at all, because the street parties literally go all night, 
The town heads up a mountain five kilometers away to cover each other in wine, to dance, dance to wine-soaked bands, and to kiss wine-covered mouths. There are water trucks filled with wine, distributing wine to water pistols, backed mounted spraying device devices, into buckets, which are indiscriminately poured on heads, and into anything else that can hold and then dispel vino tinto. After a few hours, the fight descends the mountain and moves into the town, where the only battling is done with traditional dances and general revelry, the kinds that can only be induced by hours of red wine incidentally pouring down one's throat. It's red wine. It's red wine. Wow. Yeah. In my head, I was picturing wearing... There's something about the idea of having, like, a water gun filled with wine. Yeah. And just... Like, they just... It, it's crazy to me that they have, like... Um, water trucks filled with wine and then yeah. you just fill up your water gun. It kind of sounds fun. It does sound really <laughs> fun. There are a lot of pictures online and obviously we'll post some on our social media. Um, but yeah, everyone's like shirts and clothing. Like it looks like a lot of people wore white so that their shirts were like then dyed by the wine. So everyone's yeah. like purpley pinky. Um, I'm sure they're all very sticky. Yeah. It's it a long shower yeah. after. That part doesn't sound like <laughs> um, So an article from the Telegraph that was called Grapes of Mirth from 2006 said that the festival has its origins in a conflict that was fought in the 13th century between Aro and Miranda de Ebro to the north, um, and that Aro has to claim control of the area every year by hosting the town's flag above a tiny chapel at the top of a craig. However, commemorating, commemorating the battle by throwing wine at everyone is not a tradition that started until the last century. So it's a newer tradition. They commemorate this battle by battling each other with wine. Okay. Yes. It does kind of sound like a lot of fun, and like I said, there's so many pictures online, and everyone just looks like they're having an amazing time. And it is, they did note that it's very tourist-friendly, so like, you know, if you're ever interested in going to a wine battle, June, sounds June 29th. Like a, sounds like almost a birthday celebration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my birthday is in June. Um, probably not anytime soon, you know, COVID, but... It's outdoors. <laughs> it's, it's, it's relatively safe. <laughs> and that is uh, the wine battling in Spain. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, here's a tradition neither of us will be taking a part of. Oh, great. <laughs> While we might go battle wine in Spain, we're not getting married in Nigeria. No. <laughs> Most likely. Most likely not. Uh, so this tradition takes place... In rural parts of Nigeria. Okay. So not the more modern cities of today. These are still villages that are practicing, like, rural, ancient, African, like, traditions. But in traditional Nigerian village weddings, uh, the marriage process is actually four parts. And there's parts that include, uh, like... A dowry being given over to the bride's family, mm. um, certain dances being performed, both sides of a family meeting before an actual wedding can occur. But one of the steps of the wedding process involves alcohol 
and is kind of interesting, but also a little bizarre. Okay. So, after all these other steps have been completed, there is then a big party thrown uh, by both families. And it sounds very similar to a wedding reception. I even watched a couple YouTube videos, and it looks much like a wedding reception. There's dancing and music and lots of fun and friends and family. Um, But the wedding is not yet considered completed when this party begins. Okay. Uh, And this, based on my research, is called an Igba (laughs) Nikwu... Nwani. Okay. And I'm sure that's completely wrong, and I apologize. G- give us some slack, because we don't speak these languages natively. Yes. But it is at this party when the bride publicly points out the man she intends to marry, and then the marriage is considered, like, sign seal delivered. Okay. Okay. So, it all begins when the bride's father... Or her eldest male relative, like an uncle or something, um, prays traditionally for the bride, blessing her marriage for the future, and then hands her a cup of palm wine. Okay. Uh, The wine is usually in some sort of gourd, and she then has to take this gourd of palm wine and search the party for her intended groom, who is... Somewhere And, like, these are giant parties, like, entire villages. And it's so... At a wedding reception, if you find the groom, you usually find the bride. Like, they stay together most of the time. That does not seem to be the case in these types of parties. There's lots of mingling and walking Mm -hmm. around. So, at this point, the bride has this gourd of palm wine, and she has to go on a hunt for her intended groom. And so, her, along with her maidens, or bridesmaids search around the party but once this search begins this is like the bizarre part that I was talking about um everyone knows the tradition of what's happening so all of a sudden all of the men who are at the party start to kind of beckon and call at her Mm. which seems bizarre yeah (laughs) um but like and you can watch it in the YouTube videos. Like, as she walks around the party, like, men will, like, make noises at her and hand gestures and, like, trying to, like... Distract her? Distract her, confuse her. I'm not sure. And, like, I, you hope she's not tempted by that. Like, <laughs> imagine if she's like, you know what? That one's good. Um, but she's like, actually, that won me over, I think, yeah. uh... Yeah. Claiming you, sir. <laughs> and so, like, in these videos she I've watched, like, the bride walks around, and sometimes it's very quick she finds a groom. Sometimes it's, you know, 15, 20 minutes. But once she does find her intended groom, she then has to offer him the gourd of palm wine. Mm-hmm. And if he accepts it and takes a drink from it, like, she kneels down and offers him the wine. Mm-hmm. And if he accepts it and takes a sip of it, then he has signified to the crowd that he, like, accepts her as his wife. And they are then officially pronounced man and wine. Right. Man and wine. (laughs) Man and wine. (laughs) The best pair that there ever was. (laughs) Wow. That a Freudian slip. (laughs) 
be with wine for the rest of my life. Just me and my girl, Paul. <laughs> um, but they are officially declared, officially declared man and wife. Uh, then the two of them will take the gourd of wine and they have to do this like traditional dance where they meet the bride's parents who then again pronounce blessings on them and then the party turns into just a party and there's more dances that happen and gifts are given and like then the marriage is considered done. Okay. Um, but it's really the sharing of this palm wine that like it's like a symbolic consummates gesture. Yeah. The marriage. Yeah. And so that that's my tradition in Nigeria. Man and wine. Man and wine. <laughs> that's how it happens. Alright. My last tradition is from Iceland. And uh, I feel like it's a tradition that you that you would you would do. You okay. Would get me into it. I'm excited. Yeah, it's not that strange. So Icelandians, I don't, is that how you say that? I should have looked that up. People from Iceland <laughs> <laughs> love beer so much that they have an entire day dedicated to celebrating it. It is called Beer Day. I was gonna say Sunday. <laughs> uh, it, I'm sure it has another name, but in English it is Beer Day. Okay. It takes place on March 1st, and it honors the end of the 74-year prohibition of beer in Iceland. Wow, why don't we celebrate that here? Like, There actually is a vert, like, I guess people liked the idea of it, so there's, like, an Iceland beer day that people celebrate in America. March 1st. <laughs> Add it to your calendar. <laughs> um, so, Iceland's beer prohibition lasted from July 1st of 1915 to March 1st of, eight, 19, of, 18, of 1989. Oh, wow. The year Taylor Swift was born, very important. Uh, and similar to our prohibition in in America, it started as a ban of all alcohol. However, in 1921, the ban was partially lifted because Spain refused to buy fish from Iceland unless Iceland bought Spanish wines because, like, wine was Spain's main thing, fish were Iceland's main thing, and they were like, if you want us to buy your thing, you gotta buy our thing. Makes sense. That's how trade works. That's how trade works. And so... They decided wine was okay. <laughs> so wine was allowed. So no other things. But wine, wine wine's was okay. Fine. Man and wine. <laughs> man and wine. <laughs> oh, man. Soon after wine was okayed in 1935, a national referendum came out in favor of legalizing all spirits. I guess just from pressure of the people. Um but they did not want to legalize strong beer, so any beer with an alcohol content of 2.25% or more, because the temperance lobby in Iceland argued that because beer is like cheaper than if you were to buy a bottle of vodka or whatever, it would lead to more depravity. So like it was easier to get, people would get drunk, so they still wanted beer to be banned. Oh, okay. Yes. And though there were constantly bills that were to legit, legitimize beer that were moving through Parliament, it wasn't until the 1980s 
when the upper house of Iceland's parliament voted 13 to 8 to permit the sale of beer, ending prohibition completely. That was like the last, the last one. Uh, so it was, yeah, from 1915 to 1989, which was a long That was long a long time. prohibition. Yeah, and like the article I read noted how, uh, you know, a lot of people were traveling internationally and like beer was becoming popular among like all these travelers and they just couldn't have it in their own country. Like we were alive and there was a prohibition on beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy. Because we're old. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that crazy, we're just old. <laughs> So, to commemorate what I'm sure was a very exciting day on March 1st of 1989, they now, every year on March 1st, do it all over again and celebrate. So, a lot of people do pub crawls. They drink beer, you know, at all the stops along the way. Many bars stay open until 4 a.m. the next day. Uh, and they just have, like, this all-out celebration that they can finally drink beer. That's exciting. It is I exciting. mean, it sounds fun. It does. Um, and according to the most reliable source, Wikipedia, um, beer has become the most popular alcoholic beverage of choice in Iceland, which makes sense, right? Like, it, A, it's cheaper, and B, like, it was something that they were denied for so long that they were like, yes, yeah, let's have it. No more man and wine. No. No, <laughs> no more man and wine. Man and beer. Man and beer. <laughs> um, and like I said, they do like celebrate a version of it in the United States. Although I've never heard I'm sure it's like if we looked it up we would find it. Yeah. 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 If there's like an Icelandic bar, they right. probably celebrate March first. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure New York City has one. Yeah. We can check in March for March twenty twenty two. Yes. And uh that's that oh for that I really just used Wikipedia and then like the websites that we mentioned previously. Yeah. Well those are some very interesting traditions yeah i'm excited to see some of the pictures i want to see the the fight of why yeah. there are some fun ones there some pictures yeah so make sure you're following us on social media on instagram and twitter we are at a tap on the wrist and if you know of any drinking customs or you want to correct us on the many things i'm sure we said wrong you can email us <laughs> tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com as long as you're nice about it. As long as you're nice about it. We accept criticism. Yeah. Nicely. And corrections. As long as... Well, this week, we are going to be talking about a homemade cocktail for our drink of the week. And it is actually kind of in line with the episode because it is a traditional drink that is made around the holidays. It is Coquito. Yes. Which is... Um, like a Puerto Rican eggnog yeah. is how it's most ex- people yeah. explain it. Yeah. I'm not even sure where I first learned about it. It was definitely since I've been in New York. Yeah. And I have, strangely enough, lived with, like, three different, like, Puerto Rican roommates. <laughs> and that Maybe is just... one of them. Vanessa <laughs> included. Uh, and I think I just one of those things that you hear about and you hear about, and then I tried it one day and loved it. So I like learned how to make it. Yes. And it it's like thick and it's creamy like mm-hmm. eggnog, but then it's very coconutty. Yes. Because, so coquito yeah. actually means little coconut. Yeah. So the people's choice, the people's choice, the people's source. 
says that it's made with rum, coconut milk, cream of coconut, sweet condensed milk, vanilla, nutmeg, clove, and cinnamon. I think there's like slight variations, you know, yeah. on that and how people make it. Um, but those are some of the base ingredients that are often used. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the ingredients I use. Yeah. I didn't have nutmeg, so mine did not have nutmeg in it. Yeah, I don't think, like, when my parents and I make it, I don't know that we use nutmeg and clove. Definitely cinnamon, vanilla, the condensed milk, the coconut, but... Yeah. Yeah. Definitely sweet and condensed milk, have to have that, have to have... Mine used evaporated milk as well, yeah. the recipe I, I yeah, used. Yeah, I've seen that too. And then um, definitely cream, cream of, of coconut. Yes. Not coconut milk. Yes, some of them use both, but you can't just use coconut milk. You have to have cream of coconut. Yes, in it. you do. So it is a very sweet, very dense, heavy drink. But in the holidays when you like, I was having a, a get-together – and it's just such a fun way to kind of, like, have a group of people, share a drink. Like um, a twist on just having regular eggnog. Right. Yeah. And I love coconut-flavored things. I do, too. I mean, it's not for everyone. Of course, there are people who don't love coconut. But if you do, yeah. definitely a different way to have eggnog during the holidays. Um, although I do also love traditional eggnog. Like, I'll take both. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny because with traditional eggnog... I drink it with whiskey. Right. Uh, like, that is my preferred spirit in eggnog, but in Coquito, it's rum. Right. Yeah, I don't think I would ever think to put rum in regular traditional eggnog. Yeah. But definitely what you use for Coquito. And it is just very tasty. And yes, Laura made a batch of it for her, like, little Christmas get-together, Christmas gift exchange, and it was delicious, and then I had more over the holidays at my parents, because it can't be a Puerto Rican Christmas mm-hmm. without Coquito. Yeah. Uh, so definitely check it out. We have pictures of some of the Coquito that Laura made, yeah. so we'll post that, um, maybe post a recipe so that you guys can make it and try it and see if you like it, and uh, let us know. Yeah, we know it's a little bit post holidays, but it's never a bad time for coquito. No, no I feel like it's we've a had it in the middle of the summer, like when we've gone to visit our friend in North Carolina. Oh yeah, and I mean, it also even though, even though it's served cold, it like just reminds me of being a winter drink. I guess because it's like thick, yeah. you know. So it's still winter. So you can check out those pictures and pictures from the whole episode on our social media. Yes, we are on Instagram and Twitter at a tap on the wrist. And if you try coquito or you want to recommend an, an eggnog of a different culture, because I know there's actually quite a few different varieties of eggnog, please let us know. You can email us at tapontheristpodcast at gmail.com. And please make sure you're sharing our podcast with your friends and family. Mm-hmm. And if you have Apple Podcasts, and I heard just recently Spotify yes. is now starting to allow um, rates and reviews. Please make sure you are putting up those ratings and reviews, subscribing, sharing, all of the things to help us out in this new year, to help us meet those goals. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Happy 2022. Cheers.